Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, January 26th, 2014. It's almost as if we are moving in slow motion toward an end that we all know is coming. We all know that the Adam Billy Delia's death situation is going to blow up next week. And this whole week just felt like a, a slow motion, almost sleepwalking fog, foggy trip toward it. Monday through Thursday's shows were not hugely eventful, considering we all know what's on the horizon. It wasn't until Friday's show that everything started to coalesce. And I got a great voicemail from Connor this week who shared my feeling. It just like everything for the week was all about Friday's show. It was all about Friday's show for me. And it was such a big one. Um, slowly, we have put together the pieces to, to leading toward Adam's end. Um, I don't know if it's going to end up being anticlimactic or not. I got another good voicemail from Gary who had mentioned, you know, this doesn't feel like the big blow up that maybe we were expecting. Maybe um, Adam's character is going to go out with a little more of a fizzle, a fizzle than a, than a bang. I think maybe we've been expecting it to blow up. Who knows? Maybe it's going to be this week petering out. I'm not sure. It's, it, it is hard increasingly for me and maybe for you to separate the Adam Billy storyline from the Michael Mooney scandal um, mostly because I'm I'm wa- I, you know I'm a fan of Michael Mooney and I'm watching him the entire time wondering does he know yet? Has YNR dealt the death blow to him yet? I mean, I'm scanning his face for any signs of, you know, does he know it's the end yet? You know, I want to know, I mean, those last two days that he was filming, I'm wondering, you know, where are we in the timeline of that? Um, Billy discovers the purple calla lily at Delia's grave this week and begins to put the pieces together. And meanwhile, Chelsea is in so happy with Adam, so head over heels happy with Adam. She approaches him and tells him this week that she wants to get married before they even leave Genoa City. Why get married in Paris when you can get married in, in a justice of the peace's office in Genoa City, Wisconsin? <laughs> Uh, and he agrees. They have this beautiful lovemaking scene where they're sharing this really probably last beautiful moment together, lying in bed afterward. And Chelsea is reflecting on the fact that for once, she's not the one with the secret. For once, she's hiding nothing. She's being completely honest, probably for the first time in a long time. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to her, Adam is carrying the weight of the world. And he ends up, um, after this lovemaking scene, she goes to sleep, and he has a dream, which is going to play a big role, I think, in his future actions. He dreams that he's in the present. He goes downstairs uh, into the main living room of the penthouse, and he looks around, and there's this little 
toy dog on the floor, barking, 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 and there's a scarf, Videlia's scarf, sitting next to it, and he just looks at it, uh, tries to, uh, he turns off the little doggy toy, takes the scarf, throws it into the fireplace, it disintegrates immediately, he ascends back up the stairs, and here's the dog toy barking again and he you know re- comes back downstairs tries to turn it off realizes he can't turn it off he can't erase the past he can't i mean the toy is forever coming back in this nightmare of his uh he turns around and there are black scarfs strewn across the penthouse everywhere he can't turn off what he's done he can't burn a million scarves he will never ever be able to escape what he's done even if he's able to cover up the evidence so Jump forward to the wedding day. They're really rushing this along. Adam and Chelsea are going to see a justice of the peace and uh, get married and be united for what Chelsea thinks is forever. It it was a very short and sweet ceremony. Um, Jack and Anita were there. Connor was there. Uh, Both Adam and Chelsea said wonderful things to one another. And you got the sense. It was a a sweet sense of both a beginning and an end lingering in the air. Um, After the ceremony, I was really moved by Adam's goodbye to Jack. Uh, And Adam said, Jack has been, you know, Jack, you've been really the father that Victor Newman never was to me. And Jack just looks at him and says, you're almost seeming like you're saying goodbye forever. And it is. It's like Adam saying goodbye to everyone who's meant everything to him in his life. um, And and they don't know at all what's going on. Um, Victor, of course, ends up crashing their wedding as he crashed Connor's christening ceremony. And there's another final, probably a little conflict between Victor and Jack and Adam in the Justice of the Peace's office. But more importantly, there is a a point where Jack leaves and and Adam and uh, Victor are alone in the office together. Victor has realized exactly what Adam's doing. He's marrying Chelsea, and uh, I think it was Jack that actually let the cat out of the bag that Adam's planning to move to Paris. Well, Victor's not going to have that. Victor is holding this huge piece of blackmail over Adam's head, and Victor's not afraid to use it. Victor says, you're not going to Paris. You're not taking my grandson to Paris. You're not going anywhere. If you, in fact, even think about going and leaving the country, I'm going to go to the police, and I'm going to tell them that you killed Delia Abbott. So here again, we have Adam's choice. Does he kowtow to Victor, or um, does he just leave and go his own way? And this is a very, very important uh, conversation, because I think the scene with, the final scene with Victor and Adam is where Adam realizes, again, reinforces, again, he can't escape this. If he leaves 
town now, he is screwed. Victor's going to turn him in. If he stays in town, he's still going to have the weight on his conscience, and Victor is forever going to be holding this over his head. It's not just this moment uh, where, you know, Victor's giving him uh, an ultimatum. It's every moment hereafter. Adam will always be under Victor's thumb. So it's it's really damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, it was a very powerful final scene before the wedding actually took place. There was also another awkward meeting uh, with Billy out in the hallway. Billy was trying to go to see Kevin about his hunch, and he runs into Adam and Chelsea, apparently in the same building uh, where they were getting married, and Adam and Chelsea reveal that they're there getting married and that they're leaving for Paris, like, tomorrow, and Billy is not ready for this. Billy realizes, I believe, in his gut at this juncture what has happened. I think his gut is telling him that Adam was somehow involved, but I wonder if he just doesn't want to believe it for as bad as Adam has been. He is still his wife's brother. Uh, Maybe Billy is wanting to believe that there was some level of good still in Adam, but to me it seemed pretty clear that Billy was beginning to realize that something wasn't right with Adam. I mean, there was just, it was a very awkward meeting in the hall. Billy uh, goes on uh, on his way to go visit Kevin at the police station, and he gives Kevin a a list, I guess, of all of these chat board messages. Billy is now realize that he is has been in contact with the killer. He believes whoever was chatting with him on the message board was indeed Delia's killer, gives that uh, information to Kevin, and Kevin, um, I think, I think Kevin is uh, wanting to follow more serious leads. Um, I mean, Billy has gone over these chat board messages a million billion times in his head, but there's nothing exactly concrete there. Kevin has to shut him down a little bit on that lead and tell him they're working on something else. They're working on something major. And Billy is finally able to drag out of Kevin um, exactly what it is that they're working on. And Kevin tells Billy everything about the witness uh, who saw the license plates that Kevin believes uh, the witness just had the first letter of the plate wrong, and he's actually working right now on trying to get a list of people who uh, had license plates beginning with the number six. And so Billy is... I think, happy to know that they're getting closer to a concrete bit of evidence, uh, but he also encourages Kevin to go about, you know, go around the law, do whatever you have to do, don't wait for answers, get the answers, the time is now, and I do, I don't know, I just, I don't know what you guys think, I don't know if you think, or you're interpreting that Billy knows, or suspects that it's Adam, I'm not sure, uh, but I, I feel like in the back of Billy's mind, he knows that the time is counting down, um, we, that Adam's getting ready to leave town. And if indeed it was him, then uh, he, he needs answers. He needs to you know, break open this case as soon as possible. 
So Billy heads out um, to the parking garage. He had had, uh, during his encounter with Adam and Chelsea, Chelsea had mentioned, oh, Connor left his stuffed animal. Like, we can't find it. I don't know where it is. Maybe I'll have to go back out to the car to get it. Well, as Billy's leaving the parking garage, he sees this stuffed toy, this stuffed elephant on the ground. Um, And it, it reminds him of Pinkerton, the stuffed toy that Delia always has. And he realizes, oh, this has got to be Connor's. And it's sitting, um, you know, right out. It's laying on the ground just uh, like outside of a car that's black, that's an SUV. (laughs) He at first sets the toy on uh, the hood of the car and goes actually to sit in his car and drive away and leave. And he just has this brief you know, brief moment of thinking, oh, you know, actually, that's, that's, uh, that's Adam's vehicle. It is black. It is an SUV. He, he gets out of the car. I just wonder in that moment, as he gets out of the car to go look at the front end, he's going to go look at the plates just on a hitch because Kevin's, Kevin's told him that. Is there, is there any chance? I, I just think he almost didn't want to know. There's a part of me that thinks Billy didn't want to know the truth because then he's got to act on it. Then he's got to maybe do something that he morally doesn't want to do. So he's hesitant as he walks around to the front of the car, but he does indeed see those plates and it begins with the number six and ring-a-ding-ding goes the bell in his mind. He realizes everything Every conversation he's ever had with Adam since Delia's death comes flooding back to him, and he's knelt on the ground next to Adam's car, next to <laughs> presumably like Delia's death weapon, like the thing that killed his daughter. He's down there on the ground looking at the plates, and he's just thinking of all of the conversations he's had with Adam, uh, and he becomes increasingly angry. There's a scene where he stands up, and he actually has gone and gotten a pipe or a tire iron or something and he you know whips it back and he's getting ready to smash the car to pieces he wants to just destroy what has destroyed his life and he stops he second guesses himself he shows restraint and I wonder if that is going to be flash forwarding to a little bit into the future because he could have crushed the car to a million pieces at that point why didn't he there's still a little bit of restraint um, left in Billy now after the wedding after the ceremony Chelsea uh, ends up going to Billy and Victoria's house where Billy's just gotten home and Victoria is there. She realizes something's wrong with her man. He's acting a little bit funny. Yeah, he's seeming a little bit on edge. I think he probably wanted to tell Victoria what he had found out, but Chelsea got there. She wanted to say goodbye to Johnny and, um, has Chelsea's uh, talking and saying a very cheerful and, and uh, I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, Chelsea's standing there. The Adam's wife is standing there and it probably takes everything in Billy's soul to not explode on her. But I think he's also trying to piece together how much she knows, realizes that she doesn't know anything. She wouldn't be blissfully happy, happy with Adam if she knew what he did. So he's piecing all this together. She's saying goodbye. Adam is at home with Connor and he is saying goodbye. 
he has the, the baby there in the condo and he's just talking to his son and saying that he is going to have to go away for a while. That, um, you know, he would love to continue to be with um, the family, but he's ready to pay for his crime. And I really think it was that conversation with Victor that changed everything. He, um, he could have just left but no, he's um, he he realizes he just can't continue to run from this. So he goes to the desk. He pulls out the confession videotape and puts it on the puts it on the desk. And he begins to write a letter to Chelsea, just telling her that he loves her. He will always love her. And that's of course juxtaposed happening at the same time as Billy um, is. I think Chelsea and Victoria are occupied with Johnny, and Billy goes up into that closet and he grabs that gun that we've all known he's had for months and he uh, next thing we know shows up at Adam's doorstep just as Adam's leaving I'm assuming Adam was getting ready to go turn himself in um, go to the directly to the police station but the moment Adam's uh, he opens up the door Billy is standing there and the look on Billy's face it was more than I expected. It wasn't what I expected because it wasn't rage. It was subdued rage. And also, I think that Billy feels deep down like he's sorry he has to do this. You know, he's sorry that it's come to this. Not only did he obviously not want this to happen to his daughter, but he doesn't want, like, he feels maybe compelled like he should seek vengeance, but maybe he doesn't deep down really want it. Like, he's compelled to do this. And that was pretty much where Friday's show ended. That was the cliffhanger. The previews for Monday's show uh, have Adam, you know, and a brief little confrontation, Adam and Billy, and Adam's just trying to leave, trying to get out of the apartment. God, I didn't even talk about the look on Adam's face, because when he opened up that door, there was something extra there, um, uh, just like he was a wrecked man. And I, I can't help but wonder if Michael Mooney was going through his process at that point, too. You know, had he been fired? Because the look on his face looked tired. It looked tired and and defeated. Um, and so I, the, I guess on Monday's show, Billy and Adam are going to have a little confrontation. And then uh, <laughs> Adam just says, look, I got to go. Billy pulls out the gun and says, you know, you're not going anywhere. It looks like Billy, he said something like, you're coming with me. So it kind of looks like Billy is maybe going to march Adam to the police station at gunpoint. I'm not sure. Ah. All I know is that Michael Mooney's last air date is on uh, Thursday, but that's not the end of the story. I mean, I'm not sure when um when um, Billy Miller's last day is I'm not sure when David Tom takes over I don't even know if there's going to be a little bit of a break in between there I'm not sure what I do know is next week is the week um let's see January 30th is Thursday and that's Adam's last day so I mean I can only imagine I mean oh my gosh next week's show it's it's gonna be incredible I, I brace yourself folks because it is going to be a bump be ride. Summer is still in the hospital. She is still unconscious, and Nick is by her bedside begging 
her to wake up and he is just having this very heartfelt moment with uh, the, the girl who he's raised who he's always thought of as his daughter and she opens her eyes and she looks at him and she calls him dad and everything is all of a sudden feeling just relieved it's feeling better um nick realizes that she is awake this is not going to be a repeat of the phyllis situation he calls the doctors in they take over and want to you know check summer's vitals and all that nick runs out in the hall and he he actually calls noah to tell him what's going on uh and noah is with victor at the time telling victor all about sharon's Cassie hallucinations, which is just more ammo that Victor did not really need to have. Sharon is in the chapel with Jack having another false alarm. She's praying to God that um, that um, that Summer will not be taken away from her father again. Jack overhears and she thinks, oh, my secret is up and Jack's like thank you so much you know you're really being a good friend for wanting to keep me close with my daughter this it's gotten to the point of completely ridiculous with how many false alarms we've had on this whole paternity thing every single week it's basically Sharon saying Nick I have to tell you something and Nick's like not now Sharon but maybe later and then Nick comes back and says what was it you wanted to tell me and Sharon's like uh never mind but then two days later Nick there's something I have to tell you and you need to listen to me right now. No more exceptions. And Nick's like, okay, well, what is it? And then somebody else walks in the door and interrupts. And then, okay, well, what was, what were you trying to say to me, Sharon? Oh, um, well, never mind. It's just, that's all it is. It's this endless cycle of false alarms that have just become completely annoying <laughs> to me anyway. Um, but Jack is in the chapel with Sharon, thanking her profusely for caring so much about his relationship with his daughter. Uh-huh. And Nick interrupts to tell them not only that Summer is awake and fine, but she called me dad. And there's this close-up scene of Jack's face where he realizes, oh, you know, she has come out of this crisis and the dad she thinks of is not me. And I think that hurt Jack a lot. I think it really, really stung him. But, of course, everybody rushes back in. They want to go see Summer. And uh, before anybody can get there, Victor shows up uh, with Noah. And there is, of course, an altercation between Jack and Victor in the hallway. They're just slinging mud back and forth about whose fault it is that this, that this has happened to Summer. Because, of course, Summer is not responsible for her own actions, right? I got, I got, maybe it's just me, but Summer took the pills. Nobody forced the pills down Summer's throat, but Victor is knowing exactly where to twist the knife with Jack, saying, you'll never be Summer's father, which Jack's already feeling completely insecure about, which is going to totally give Jack a reason to want to take the knife out and just twist it right back into Victor's heart. Uh. <laughs> so Nick decides to go and, and let uh, Jack go be with Summer. And Nick and Sharon have this moment alone together in the hall where he says, you know, what... What was it you wanted to tell me? 
<laughs> Wasn't there something before all this that you really needed me to know? Uh, so essentially, Sharon gets another chance with Nick to tell the truth, and she doesn't take it. This time, the excuse is, you know, when when you hear this news, it, you need to be focused on this news. Uh, so I'll tell you later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they embrace. Victor sees it. He is definitely keeping that little tidbit about Cassie's ghost under his mustache for now. But he does confront Nick and Sharon, and he blames Sharon. He says, you know, um, it was your job to keep an eye on the models and here summer ends up taking drugs and you know going into cardiac arrest um i i i just it really bothers me that the blame seems to be flying around to everybody but summer they uh, get in to see her uh like i said jack is the first and nick does kind of look in and see Jack and Summer having a moment together. Jack seems to kind of want to bow out. He says, you know, I got some stuff I got to go take care of. I'm going to leave. Which I think is almost his way of trying to let Nick and Summer have some time together. Like, I think Jack maybe is observing that Nick is what she needs. And so he's therefore removing himself from the situation a little bit. Because under any other circumstance, would Jack leave the hospital? I don't think so. But he does say, you know, I got to go. And he's... You know, he, he leaves. But um, the thing that kind of rang true with me is at one point in the week, Stitch mentioned a blood test. They did a blood test with Summer, I guess, to probably uh, assess the extent of the damage. But my thought is, well, a blood test... I wonder if Summer's going to need some additional blood or something that's, you know, going, you know, they're going to be looking for donors or something and maybe or some heart tissue. I don't know. <laughs> maybe Jack will not be the match as her father. Maybe it will. Maybe that's how the whole truth will come out. I'm not sure. But Jack does leave. He's got some business to attend to. Victor leaves, <laughs> comes back. Um, uh, reveals that he has reported Jack to the labor board or something to have uh, Jabot's fashion section shut down because there was drug use, as if Jack was there on site passing out pills, like with a little cigarette girl cart, you know, like, here, get your sodas, get your pills, <laughs> have your cigarettes, and what do you want? He's throwing them around like it's a free like it's freaking candy. I, I, again, again, how... Is Summer not responsible for her own actions? I feel like Victor is totally using this as an excuse to get back at Jack. Summer is the one that did this. Am I is it am I crazy? Like maybe I don't have sympathy for her because I haven't connected as much with her as one of the younger characters, but I, everyone is all around her telling her it is not her fault. She is not to blame. Uh uh, maybe it's like, uh, maybe her biggest problem is that she has affluenza. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's not even the heart disease. It's a, it's a, a case of, oh, you're rich. Maybe, um, maybe you don't have to be accountable for your own actions. Everyone is totally acting like it's not her fault. Noah goes to, to Courtney and confronts her and thinks she gave Summer the drugs and 
Courtney says, you know, you're right, I'm hiding something from you, but I swear I'm not taking drugs and I didn't give them to Summer. There's a scene where Nikki sits down with Summer and tell it's again just so forgiving. It's not your fault. I wouldn't I would want to beat her ass <laughs> if she was my daughter. Like, come on. <sighs> Nikki has new hair, by the way. <laughs> I noticed um, in the scene at the hospital when she's sitting down with Summer, it was kind of funny because Summer's like, you know, I, I made the mis- this mistake. She's obviously very ashamed of herself. And Nikki's saying, you know, pretty much she's made her fair share of mistakes, too. But I loved her hair. It was shorter. I honestly think her hair right now is as long as it should ever be. It does not need to get longer and be in weird French braids. Like, it's good right where it is. Let's leave it there. Um, (laughs) I thought that Nikki looked good. Um, So, the drug thing is not over. Kyle, it's just one more piece of ammunition. Kyle learns uh, the drug name from Stitch. He's kind of in the hallway really hasn't had a whole lot of connecting time with Summer. I wouldn't mind seeing Kyle connect with Summer, considering they were like great loves there for a while. Uh, But he has a moment where he catches Stitch, uh, learns the drug name, and it is Viva Surge. (laughs) That's what Summer took. Viva Surge. It's by Bonaventure. Um, And so Kyle goes back, gives that information to Jack, um, and Jack is determined to make Victor pay now more than ever. Uh, Victor owns Bonaventure. Uh, And furthermore, Kyle found out that Bonaventure began selling these energy pills online over over the internet after Victor took over. I mean, I'm sure that Victor didn't okay (laughs) this. I'm not sure why Bonaventure would just decide to go do risky tactics after just having been merged into a new company and probably being audited way more. That doesn't necessarily make sense, but um, uh, apparently it makes Victor liable. And um, so this is something that Jack uh, and Kyle, I'm sure, want to use as ammo against Victor. They have a little meeting at the athletic club, a little run-in with Victor, and, uh, you know, they're slinging mud back and forth, of course. And Kyle... All he can hear is Victor blaming his father for what's happened to Summer when uh, Kyle and Jack secretly know that Victor's company was the one who produced the drugs. So Kyle's lashing back at Victor and quits. He decides he's not going to work at Newman Enterprises anymore. Victor says, my good, you saved me the effort of firing you. (laughs) You think I didn't know that you were a mole in my company? I'm not stupid. So Kyle's out, and we all know the actor's out, so I'm I'm not sure what's going to exactly keep him totally, like, usher him off the scene, but he's going to be gone. Um, And really, again, uh, it's going to be back to the prime Victor versus Jack feud. Um, This time, they're just, instead of slinging mud back and forth, they're slinging drug manufacturing and use accusations.
Fenn is headed back to jail this week. He broke the terms of his house arrest by running off and trying to save Summer, which ended up landing him back in Paul's office. And there is a scene where Lauren and Michael and Fenn are in Paul's office. And again, Lauren and Michael are making excuses for Fenn. Oh, he saved Summer. He should be rewarded instead of punished. He's a hero. He saved her life. And I'm sorry, maybe I, I maybe like I'm just not connecting in with Summer and Fenn and therefore I'm having trouble mustering up sympathy for them, but Fenn had other options. He didn't have to break the terms of his house arrest. He could have called the police. He could have called Sharon. I mean, there were any number of other options he would have had. Um, I feel like Fenn's impulsiveness and bad decision-making are what got him into this trouble in the first place. But Michael and Lauren don't see it that way. They again try to treat Paul like he hasn't done everything in his power to help them. And Paul and Christine have done everything. Their friendship has has been beneficial in so many ways since this Carmine murder went down. Paul has been giving them preferential treatment. And now all of a sudden, Lauren is standing his, in his office acting like he's not a friend. It was really Lauren. Michael is much more realistic, but Lauren is just... I mean, I know she's fighting for her family, but she gives off this air of thinking that she's above the law, like, just because it's her kid, you know? I mean, then again, I don't know who in this town doesn't believe that they're above the law. Um, Michael is definitely trying to be the calmer person, and and Michael did bring up, look, Fenn knew the terms of his house arrest, so um, now Fenn's headed back to jail. Fenn's Going back to the prison, back to the skull cap, back to Womack. Um, <laughs> but Michael says, tells Fenn and believes that he has a plan for taking care of Womack. Michael goes to Leslie. Apparently, Leslie was the one who defended Womack in the first place. And Michael tries to get a little information out of her. Try, he wants to know who it was that turned state's evidence against Womack that got him him eventually arrested and Leslie said she did she really didn't know um the only thing she the only piece of information she was able to give Michael was that apparently Womack is connected to some East Coast crime family that I can't remember the name of. I'm sorry, but Veneciano maybe or something like that. Maybe I just made that up. I'm not sure. <laughs> but he's Womack is connected to this crime family and uh, oh, guess what? It's the exact same crime family that Carmine is connected to. So it looks like I was kind of pulling theories out of my butt last week and I kind of think maybe I was right. I think it was Carmine, who turned in the state's evidence against Womack, and um, he must have somehow needed to go into the federal uh, witness protection program, and so they faked his death, I guess, because, I mean, why else would an FBI agent be his coroner and then also go undercover himself? So it looks like um, Carmine is still alive at the end of the day. He might just be in witness protection. Um, my other question I can't help but connect is uh, other mob connections. We all know that Colin is coming 
back in town. He's got Jill kidnapped somewhere. Uh, is it possible uh, that it's more than just his romantic uh, lust for her, want, desire to get back together with her? Uh, could uh, Colin have kidnapped Jill because she's related to Lauren and somehow connected to this whole Carmine situation? I don't know exactly how it co connects in, but Genoa City is getting mobbed up. Have you considered the path that you're meant to walk? <laughs> Sorry, I can't keep a straight face through that. Dylan and Avery have tracked down a man named John Darwin, who they believe to be alias um, for Ian Ward. Uh, so they've tracked him down to Indian Indiana with another cult-like organization called The Path, or that's kind of what it is, or what it, um, I don't know if that's the name of the organization, or that's the, the name of their pride and joy, the, the, the way, The Path. Um, and Dylan and Avery are going to meet with one of the head honchos of this organization, and they're posing as a couple in need of counseling. And they have this very intense meeting with a front man who, if you didn't know any better, you might have thought was the leader of the cult. But no, uh, Dylan is asking a lot of questions and the uh, this guy is not really buying it. He calls him out, tries to get as much information as he can out of them. And finally, Dylan breaks down and says, all right, all right. <laughs> Similar to what he did with Ian Ward's wife. He says, OK, OK, we're not a couple in need of counseling. I'm actually Ian Ward's son. And and that's why I'm trying to get this information. But the front guy is not giving up anything. He's not confirming that he knows even who Ian Ward is or uh, that John Darwin is at all, you know, connected. So uh, Dylan, you know, gives him this information and the guy just acts like he knows nothing, sends Dylan and Avery on their way. But he turns around calls his boss and tells him everything that just happened. Um, meanwhile, Dylan and Avery assume that they've just struck out. They believe that that man is lying, but they also realize that there's not a whole lot more they can do. They've hit a dead end. So they go back to their hotel room and they finally begin to connect. Like they're talking about the past um, and the present. And it was really exactly what I've been waiting to hear. I've been wanting to love Dylan and Avery together because I thought they had an instant connection as soon as Dylan came onto the show. And finally, in this hotel room, they're talking it all out and you know, learning to love each other in this new reality. It's not enough to say we used to love each other or even that we loved each other a month ago. Now things are completely different and they have to learn how to adapt to that. Um, Dylan does feel resolved in this moment uh, that it's enough to just love Avery, that uh, he doesn't need to find his father, that he can just be happy with her, and that, in fact, maybe it's better if he doesn't find Ian Ward, that he doesn't find his father. Maybe it's better for him. Maybe it's better for Avery. And maybe it's better for Nikki. <laughs> because now... The ball is in Ian's court anyway. <laughs> and can you even believe the man shows up in Genoa City? Not quite even how I was expecting. Uh, Nikki comes home one day and turns around and Ian Ward's in her living room. He's just there. 
And I think that says everything we need to know about this man right there. He didn't go to approach her. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't come up with some story to let the housekeepers let him in. He went to the guards and just said, oh yeah, we're an old friend. And they believed him enough to let this stranger, this creepy strange guy, into the main house. This is who he is. Ian Moore doesn't ask questions. He doesn't ask anybody for anything. He manipulates smoothly and crisply and and just, uh, just manipulates his way into the situation and Nikki turns around and see him and she is astonished this man is not only there but he had the nerve to come into her house first of all the actor Ray Weiss is phenomenal, isn't he? I mean, you guys are gonna love him throughout this. And if you have not seen Twin Peaks, you need to go back and watch that show. In fact, only watch only watch until the point where Ray Weiss is off. Like after Ray Weiss leaves the show, it's it's like it's painful to watch. But he's brilliant in that series. This part, oh, it's tailor made for him. He makes such a good villain because you like. There's just something about Ray Weiss. You you want to believe he's such a good guy, and he just plays this maniacal. Uh, bad guys so very well he's excellent and I'm let me assure you this is going to be amazing from a performance perspective I'm so excited about this um he has this um back and forth with Nikki where um he she says you know I'm disgusted by what happened with you that you know you know what you did to me and Ian just comes back at her very surprisingly by saying, you know, that's not how I remember it. You're viewing all of that through the eyes of regret. What I remember is that we had a beautiful encounter, which is such a good twist. You know, he's just twisting it just enough like, oh, that's not how I remember it. And he, that's like the exact attitude he uses to get into your head. And the that he would even attempt to do this, attempt to manipulate her again is so offensive she just smacks him right in his smug face at that implication oh I just enjoyed that so 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 much <laughs> oh, I, you know I unless I missed something all I kept thinking was how did he even know that Nikki was the mother because I, I maybe I missed something I hope not but I seem to recall um Dylan telling his story to the front man at the path or whatever it's called but I don't remember him mentioning Nikki was his mother so how did Ian know that Nikki that to go to visit Nikki first it was Nikki who got the first contact from him which makes me think he knew all along did Ian know all along that Nikki had had uh, this son, did he know the story the whole time and was just sort of waiting for this to come back to him? I, I don't know. I, I I think that that's an interesting um, twist. I think this whole thing, it's just, oh, he's making it for me. We're going to get a good villain out of this, you guys. It's going to be so good. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see him come into contact with Victor. He's lucky Victor wasn't home coming up in his house like that. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, Ian basically tells her, I'm not going anywhere. I want to get to know my son. So you're just going to have to deal with me. I'm not going anywhere. Not for a while, anyway. (laughs) He leaves the ranch, and Nikki makes a beeline over to the coffee house to talk to Dylan. 
to tell him, uh, guess what? The Pandora's box has been opened and it's not going to be closed anytime soon. Abby and Tyler are looking for their new luxury house. I mean, I thought they were going to live in a house, but instead we see them showing up in this kind of, I don't know, it looks like a condo or an apartment or something, but it it just like, I don't know, it was all exposed brick. It looked kind of dirty and blank. Like, it just, I don't know, exposed brick just doesn't say luxury to me. It doesn't say Abby Newman to me. I was very surprised by the choice in place that they were looking at. It does feel like this design, I don't know, like whoever's designing the sets, they like exposed brick. Like that place that they were looking at basically looked like the uh, place that Lily and Kane were looking at buying for office space. I don't know. I don't know. It was kind of dark. But anyway, um, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, Tyler and Abby do it on the floor. Um, <laughs> they have sex right there on the floor. I guess just the idea of living together got them all hot and bothered. And off in the distance, we see that Mariah is there. She was like in the apartment with them. She's pretty sneaky. Nobody can hear her heels clicking around on the floor in there. It's weird that she was in there while they were doing it on the floor. Yuck. Um, Tyler ends up leaving and Abby stays behind. And just as she's off in another room, Mariah steals her phone, steals the key, and locks her in the apartment all on her own overnight. <laughs> oh, I had to I had to laugh a little. I mean, I know Abby was very distressed, but I was laughing a little bit. Um, she was tr desperately trying to get out of there, and she goes into her purse and uh, finds a nail file and <laughs> tries to pick the lock and get herself out of there, and I, I wanted that to work out. I would have been really, I think, impressed by Abby if she would have been able to pick her way out of that lock with a nail file. That would be my kind of girl. <laughs> Oh, well, eventually Tyler rescues her. Um, he comes to the door. He sees Abby's phone on the floor outside. Mariah has dropped it there and squashed the screen with uh, her heel. It was a, a her little screensaver on her phone was a picture of, of her and Tyler. And Mariah just crushed it with her high heel. Um, and so Tyler's there. He sees her phone. He kind of thinks maybe um, you accidentally dropped your phone. But Abby feels totally resolved that she's been locked in there. She just knows it. Uh, she has a hunch. And um, they try to make up and, you know, try to move on with their life. But then she, Abby ends up taking a look at Tyler's phone and sees Mariah's phone number in there. That must have been what um, she did in L.A. Mariah put her phone number in um, Tyler's phone at some point. Tyler has insisted that he has nothing to do with Mariah. And there, you know, next thing you know, Abby's finding her phone number in his phone. So they have another breakup. I mean, how many times have they broken up already? Um, I don't know. I'm more curious about who the heck Mariah is. And since I haven't heard anything about anyone else um, being cast on the show, I, I just keep thinking maybe Mariah is somebody who we already know, somebody in town. Like, I don't know, could it be Hillary? Um, the, the, uh, you know, I, this would be interesting to me. Um... But probably, but not probable. I mean, we only have that tattoo on her wrist to go on. If it weren't for that tattoo on her wrist, I think it would have been way more interesting if it could have turned out to be Lily.
Gloria is back this week, which makes me happy. And she's super excited because she's got some kind of celebrity bridal planner, wedding planner at the uh, office. And I, his name is David something. And I'm sorry, you're going to have to forgive me, you guys. I don't know who he is. Uh, I'm sure it was a very exciting cameo for people who know who he is. I vaguely think maybe he's a wedding planner with a TV show, but I'm not sure what channel or any of that. So I'm really sorry. I can't give you that info. Um, it threw me off a little bit because I felt like I'm, I should know what's going on, but I'm just confused because I don't know this guy. <laughs> but he comes in and Gloria concocts this plan to get him to stick around. Um, by making up a raffle that Neil shows up randomly and has randomly won. He happens to be getting married. And so uh, Gloria decides to try to hook them up and to try to get David to plan Neil and Leslie's wedding. This whole thing, it was just all about Gloria for me, to be honest with you. I was all about Gloria in those scenes. Uh, although it was kind of nice. Leslie comes in and um, they work together with David on the wedding plans. And, she, you know, even though Leslie has been very hesitant toward uh, the wedding. It did seem like working with David kind of warmed her up to the idea. Like, you know, who knows? Maybe she'll get over her fear and things will work out. I mean, maybe it just took working with someone to help her get the type of wedding that she wants to have. Okay, you guys, that's it for this week. Next week is going to be the real kicker. Oh, you know, I'm almost, it's weird, I'm almost dreading it. There's a part of me that's trying to disconnect, like, I don't want to get hurt <laughs> because my Adam is leaving me. Oh, man, uh, it is going to be a hard week. There's going to be some tears. I don't think I've cried in a little while at this show. Well, I mean, there's always welling, but I could, uh, there might be streams of tears. I'm going to zero in, zen in to YNR next week, and I will be back to chat with you about it then. I hope you guys can hang in there with it. Um, I'll be here. We'll support each other through this difficult time. I'll be there to hold your hand. <laughs> and I'll be thinking of you all as I'm watching. So everybody have a good week and we'll talk about it next time. Bye.